0: hi this is jack's corner where i discuss issues on society and culture here in america hello everyone welcome back to jack's corner this is my corner and i am back with the duchess it is uh
1: hello hello hello. welcome back guys it is
0: tuesday april 20th 2021 Yay! Yay! We're getting through April. Actually, I'm going to take that back. It is 4:20. There
1: you go. It is
0: April 20th. Yay! 4:20. Woo hoo! Woo. Yes, Yay. I got my we medicine finally today. Finally
1: got it legalized. Oh, my yeah. God, can you believe it? Used to be considered a serious felony. I it can't believe people used a...
0: to do years in prison for oh, marijuana. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Uh, there were people in Texas that were serving like life sentences. It was horrendous. It was really. We've come a long way. Yeah. I don't know what, um, what they're like in Texas, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think we are legal in all of our States. Um, I think, I don't know what the, how many of our States now are legal. Last time I checked, we had probably 20, 28 States maybe that had legalized marijuana. So I don't know the numbers. I don't know either. But, um, anyway, let's getting moving on. Um, it's been quite a day. Yeah. It's oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Talking about, let's talk about the, the Chauvin trial.
1: All right. Sounds good. Chauvin. Chauvin. Yes. And Veronica has
0: been watching the news, but this is the officer that was involved in the, the death of George Floyd.
1: And here's what, uh, the headlines read.
0: Okay. The federal civil rights investigation into the death of George Floyd will continue, Attorney General Merrick Garland said in a statement, even though he said that, quote-unquote, the jury in the state trial of Derek Chauvin has f- fulfilled its civic duty and rendered a verdict convicting him
1: on all counts. So... And here's what the President of the United States said. will Yeah, leave it there for me. It was... A murder in full light of day it was a murder in full light light of day. day and you know all of us knew that he was on George Floyd's neck for over nine minutes come on now come on now really oh there's no excuse for this no absolutely no it's outrageous and we've had a lot of demonstrators out here so we'll drive by and you honk sometimes, you know, we put up the fists and cause we support it. And, um, yeah, if I weren't ill, you know, I'd be right out there. But anyway, we're here and this is our little corner, Jack's corner, especially. So, and like yeah. I said, we do talk about
0: issues related to society and culture, and this is a big issue. Think about it. The, president- the black lives matter movement was behind this a hundred percent
1: and for them to get justice in court is huge. Well, you know, I'm sure they had the ACLU, American Civil uh, Lawyers groups that are really pressing hard. ACLU is one of the best ones that comes to rescue on big cases like this because what they really do is they fight for the civil rights of people. And I believe that's their charter and how they were organized. Um, But at, at any rate, we're very happy that he was found guilty of murder. But our president, President Biden, quote, it was a murder in full light of day. Quote, unquote, President Biden says of George Floyd's death. That's pretty profound. And I'm proud of him for coming to the, you know, front and center stage and making this announcement. Because there was a time, I remember when we had Nixon. I remember when we had Reagan. You think any of this would have ever happened then? Oh, give me a break even with Clinton who was a sympathizer of um, those of us that are mixed colors and Yeah, but anyway, so this is a new day. (laughs) and Thank God Trump is out of office That was such a tragic, (laughs) tragic, tragic thing for our country. What a shame, you know It's like I thought Nixon was bad and Reagan, but oh, come on. This was ridiculous. Donald Trump was our president. That was like the clown of the universe.
0: Well, I'm not going to comment on Trump being president, but it oh. was it was quite the show. He always had a lot to say on Twitter. Yeah. And I miss seeing his tweets on Twitter because they would stir up... <laughs> they
1: would stir up... A lot of controversy yeah, between us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyhow. Anyhow. So did you want me to share this story about... Uh... Yes, but
0: real quick, we're going to yeah. talk about... Something that Veronica and I have been discussing. We both have this itch to travel and to get out and just get out, get out of the home and breathe and 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 see, see things. nature. See so nature. I follow van lifers on YouTube, and I see how people can live out of their vehicles. I've been watching conversions on SUVs, where you can actually convert your SUV into a uh, a camping type off-grid SUV and I find that amazing because it's not that difficult.
1: No, it's not. I remember back in the 60s and early 70s people would buy the VW vans. They would do the same thing, put um a plywood piece and then a mattress and it was really comfortable. Um so that's what we used to do in the old days but It was a pretty common thing, and we would travel in those state after state. I've traveled all over from California all the way to New York by car twice.
0: Yeah, it's doable. When I lived out of my SUV, I ended up taking a road trip to Portland, Oregon and back. And I accomplished the trip within two days.
1: How did you like it? How did you like the travel? Was it too much? Or was it okay? It
0: was okay. Because you know, I once held a commercial driver's license, a class A license. So I drove a right. big semi truck at one time right. for one year. Right. And I was used to those long road trips. Yeah, I remember you telling me. uh, And all those
1: controls you had to deal with. Yeah. yeah,
0: So uh, I find it not that difficult. I could see me doing most of the driving, which is fine with me. Oh, I I don't mind driving. But I I love the freedom of it. When I did live out of my blue SUV, who Mm -hmm. I called Blue. Yeah.
1: um,
0: Retired now, gone to a junkyard somewhere. But... I had a mattress in that car, a twin-sized little mattress from Ikea. It I was had really cool. everything I needed, a cooler. It. it was amazing. I had my dogs with me, yep. and we mostly stayed by the beach.
1: Yeah, and, can you imagine? Uh, they would it was, open up the uh, back. It was beautiful. And they could literally be sleeping I, on there. I um, won't forget those right moments there.
0: ever. I treasure them because right I miss that. my dogs. They're no longer with me. But uh, right. <clears throat> uh, a really good sense of freedom. So I think that's something we want to venture off into and we're going to be looking into as I continue watching these um, SUV conversion videos on YouTube. I got some ideas already and I discussed them with Veronica today and I think we're going to probably get started on the project sometime very soon and we'll do a video. If we decide to head out and do a road trip, we're going to definitely do a video of that so you guys are with us. That's why we keep reminding you to subscribe to our YouTube channel Museum Americana.
1: Yes, absolutely it's um, a place that we love to be and you're all invited
0: and become a patron if you haven't if you haven't gone to our patreon website go to patreon forward/ com, and and look at our three different tiers to become a patron for Museum Americana I just want to mention that real quick before Veronica gets into one of our short stories
1: oh, okay are we ready yeah we're ready okay mama let's do it. So this one is another story about one of the women. Um, I had been a lifer at this point. I was there probably 12 years, and I had done 22 years in a prison and then 23 in institutions. So anyway, so this, this woman was one of my lovers, and her name was Penelope. I was introduced to Penelope by another prisoner here at the prison because it was well known that I was a published poet. Penelope was also a poet, though as yet undeveloped in her work. She appeared young and a bit timid when meeting me, almost as if she were intimidated, not uncommon for women toward me anyway. This put me in a, in the role of nurturer, as I wanted to allay her fear. I am myself un- uncomfortable when someone feels frightened by me. Within a few hours of our introduction, Penelope Lee began to relax and study the style of my writings, asking questions of what various metaphors meant that she didn't quite catch in this or that poem I had written. We extensively discussed the use of rhythms and styles in poetry, and I commented on her uses of various techniques as well. It became clear to me that this young woman had a lot to say, and that art, for her, could be the clearest method to express the deep emotions she held within. My intuition proved valid. In no time, poetry, prose, um, and visual art poured out of her. The girl was an artist, and although she was limited in her tools, she was a very quick study. Together we shared word lists from the dictionary, grazed over art books, (coughs) read the works of other poets. We watched many documentaries and lectures and I introduced her to the new forms of music she had not been acquainted with. My life's interests were similar or er, were stimulating. She had not been acquainted she had not been acquainted to these subjects. My life's interests were stimulating and so she shared a great deal of her time with me learning about feminism, politics, culture and publishing. Penelope was unlike anyone I had met in prison before because she was not only remarkably receptive to artistic and intellectual pursuits, but she learned quickly and began to produce remarkable literary gems, the likes I had only read by artists like Henry Miller and Annis Nin. She had genius racing within her and I applauded her achievements, while also feeling the ambivalence of having lost my own privacy as a result of her demands for my time and attentions, it was the ambivalence which made me finally examine the cause of her need for constant attention by me. Penelope came from a family that was so devastatingly injurious that even today I can hardly conceive of its reality. Her mother was an alcoholic and drug user who had scores of mental and emotional troubles. Her father was no better off. Penelope was a pretty girl, eager to please, and as I said, in possession of a highly gifted mind. All in all, she was a perfect daughter as for a parent. Yet for her father, he wanted more of her than her daughterly affections. He wanted all of her, her sexuality and romantic devotion he began molesting Penelope when she began to move from child to adolescent at some point she was taught to believe that this arrangement of incest was her appropriated role in the family in the structure as her grandfather incested Penelope as well she did not appreciate the advances of her grandfather and intercourse with him was very traumatic however with her father she felt a love that helped her override the inner voice that screamed out to her that incest was a grave betrayal there were many fixed, mixed emotions regarding her father she at once felt special and also rather like a woman and a wife to him when he told her he was in love with her there was a certain sense of accomplishment in pleasing her daddy daddy and bringing him happiness But beneath that was so much guilt and shame. Parts of her became buried within, other parts not truly her began emerging to cover up the inner mayhem. In efforts to cope psychologically with an untenable psychological and emotional situation, undoubtedly her now diagnosed schizophrenia was birthed as a result of this history. Penelope did try to stop the ongoing incest, and even her father tried to stop, but he would always come back and always persuade her to give in to his need and what he termed love. Now, in her mid-teens, she wanted to break free of the sexual relationship with her father, but then questioned herself when he'd forced her to orgasm. This brought her added guilt, as she believed it was wrong to have sex with her father and begged and fought with him to stop it and yet still wound up climaxing with him. Her numerous running away from home ventures always failed her. She was institutionalized and later returned home. Conquered by her failure to begin a new life, inevitably she became pregnant with her father's child and gave birth to it. She adored the baby, but her home life was intolerable. Her remedy was little better. She involved herself with an abusive lesbian lover who, by her emotional inconsistency, pushed deep triggers of insecurity in Penelope. Violent explosions between the two escalated until until Penelope lost control and stabbed the woman, severe enough to frighten her out of the relationship. This quickly led to Penelope giving her child to her family to raise while she escaped the situation via alcohol and drugs. Meanwhile, her schizophrenia interfered with her cultivations of friendships, and she eventually landed in a mental institution. Finally, she graduated to becoming a bag lady, living in the alley and foraging for food in trash cans while panhandling money to buy alcohol. Her mental aberrations intensified as she battled against the harshities of back street living in crates and boxes. There were the weather elements to stave off as well as the severe rats, sewer rats, which complete, competed with her for warmth and food, and still more dangerous were the memories, the memories of which she could not outrace, memories, and so much denied victimization, feelings of confusion, rage, loneliness, and isolation. A woman who frequented a local bar, she did, uh, Penelope had been on a drug and alcohol bench for literally a year and a half. Her once lithe and youthful figure began to show the wear and tear of her hard life. The two women quickly grew intimate, spending a few days together at a nearby hotel. When Martha, her new woman, grew restless to go back to bar hopping without Penelope, the one time friendship went awry. Penelope, who was already terrorized by intimacy and betrayal, was set off all the more so by the festerings of her long now standing mental illness. With Martha's desire for departure, Penelope's insecurities blotted out all her sensibilities, erupting into a murderous rage. She attacked Martha in the motel room grabbing her from behind, causing them both to fall to the floor where Penelope beat her into unconsciousness and later death. Once her energy was expelled, her mental faculties resumed temporarily, long enough to establish she had lost control and severely hurt Martha, perhaps irretrievably. The latter awareness was quickly vanquished. Her mind could not tolerate that perception Penelope had to take it all back. She talked apologetically to Martha and wept for her to forgive her. And yes, if Martha wanted her wanted to go bar hopping by herself, she would understand. Penelope would understand and even help her to get ready to go. Yes, Penelope would get her makeup and comb her hair. And for some time, Penelope did just that. Combed dead Martha's hair and reapplied dead Martha's makeup, disregarding that Martha was quite dead. As the hours passed and the bars throughout the city were closing, Penelope laid beside Martha's lifeless body, holding her close and telling her how she never wanted to hurt her. The following evening, Penelope wandered into the streets for hours, returning to the motel room to find detectives interrogating the neighbors. Penelope strode to one of the policemen and made her confession in half-incoherent statements. She later pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to approximately fifteen years. Her entry into jail was difficult, despite her past associations with institutions. In truth, she was overwhelmed by the series of events her life had was embroiled in. Her need for affection and a sense of security manifested itself in performing sexual favors for the more aggressive types of females. She was drawn to the more abusive type women. Consequently, she was abused. She was considered a slut, a punk by her peers in the mix, as they perceived her remarkable propensity to please others as a basic lust motive, when in fact it had little to do with sexual passion, as she was non-orgasmic at this time and merely fake climaxes during these encounters. Her transition to prison was made more unbearable by a now dismal reputation that preceded her. Her jailhouse history, her wild sex and uncontrollability. Again, she was driven to repeat the tragic mistakes of the past when she established an interest with another. She felt drawn to win that person's love and to take that meant uh, giving of a sexual favor. Often she pursued three women at the same time engaging in sexual relationships from room to room to room. With quite a few of her conquests simultaneously she kept each partner in the dark about the others she was involved with. For her, it was not a bad deception, but a thing she could not emotionally stop. Her neediness for affection drove her relentlessly. Of course, when I met her during her entry into the prison, I did not know these things yet. Over the course of time, I picked up cues that she had behaviors that were unusual, but I was not so drawn into a relationship with her. I discovered that... She concerned me. Much later, however, I discovered that her connecting with me was a primary focus of of her life now and involved in my activities and whereabouts at all times. I began to feel pressured, pressured to supply Penelope's emotional needs, a thing I could not ever meet, nor did I desire to. I was comfortable with a moderate friendship, and although I took great efforts to convey this to her, Penelope could not understand the boundaries I had set up, and she rebelled with ferocity. She explained she was in love with me and dedicated to our relationship, and that I resisted her, proved to her that, that I had only betrayed her, and so she became violent, and I would restrain her at such times. Given my years in prison, I took these outbursts as a danger signal, rightfully so something that I was not unfamiliar with as such violence had often enough erupted around me that I was not too fear-struck to respond. As the months passed, she continued her studies with me and developed her art with me. Her outburst remained a constant, as did her sexual conquests. She was growing more desperate and more driven to possess me. I mean possess. P o s s e s in big letters. She explained her feelings toward me. I was astonished, as they were so entrenched in a power exchange that I was overwhelmed with the notion of it. It was a groupy mentality. She exalted me in her mind as if I were a celebrity, and she was my devoted fan. Apparently my crime and its notoriety created a mystique to her, that gave her a sense of protection in the prison, if she was associated with me. Well, that hadn't been too uncommon in all the years I had been there, I noticed this was a common thing, actually, very much so. It was a peculiar illusion, as I was not the big forceful monster that the media helped to create, and yet in her eyes, I was this powerful person who could threaten and destroy the demons of her insecurity, and keep her wolves at bay. Rumors came back to me that she had collected newspaper photos of me and saved pieces of papers I had written inconsequential notes on, and with these items she constructed an altar of sorts in her cell. As I withdrew further away from her at this knowledge, she began to make threats, and naturally they escalated into assaults. Shortly thereafter, I escaped. I was recaptured and learned of her suicide attempt. Apparently, after I left, she had a severe psychotic episode and wandered throughout the prison, repeating my name, Veronica Compton, Veronica Compton, and carrying on conversations with me, only I wasn't really there. I was on escape status. I had broken out of the prison. Then, in a fit of depression and despair, she cut her wrists and arms and neck in a near-identical manner to my own suicide attempt years earlier, which she and I had discussed previous to this act. With her blood she wrote letters to me, accusing me of driving her to do it. These letters she mailed to me. No, I did not read them. I glanced only long enough to understand that their contents... And how they were written, were written out of blood, for God's sakes, and then quickly threw them away. It had irritated me. that The staff passed them through the mail censorship and allowed me to receive such horrifying letters of another inmate written in another inmate's blood. It was outrageous. It was wrong. Penelope had been on new medication. I had heard. It was controlling her schizophrenia, and the new Penelope was very penitent for her acts against me. Wouldn't I please, please forgive her and just talk to her? Well, eventually this came to pass after over a year. And in no time at all, I crossed her boundaries of self-control, and the outburst manifested all over again. The last encounter of violence resulted in my refusal to allow a sexual relationship to proceed. So she assaulted me, and I did my best to restrain her and defend myself. I was wrongly charged with the one and only fighting infraction I ever received, and have since only seen her in passing, as she quickly was transferred out of the state, having had an extensive history at the prison of numerous assaults and fights with other women who she also became obsessed with. She said so much. Anyway, I'm going to stop that particular reading of Penelope there. And that's just wow. a, a little bit of um, my friend Penelope.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, wow, there's people that go through these abuses in life there are women out there that have experienced
1: incest oh this is a horrifying story
0: yeah and she's damaged
1: absolutely more individual she needs a lot she never got a chance i agree everything was altered she wasn't given a chance and you see that so much in the in the prison system i'm sure oh no my drink no longer my soda pop is gone oh
0: we'll have to get um, you
1: some more soda yeah can i get more pepsi yeah all right all right well um Jax, you take over for for a minute.
0: Okay. You want to come back? and Yeah, I'll come back. Okay. Well, here I am. Uh, I've been doing better. I celebrated my 50th birthday with my family, with my brothers and sisters, all except for one brother because he couldn't make it. And there's eight of us kids in the family. So it was really nice to spend it with my mom and dad, who I still have, my mom and dad, which is really cool. Um, Very, very strong support system for me they've definitely gotten better over the years. Um, I didn't end up switching my meds because I have been feeling a little better and I don't want to make an abrupt change when it may not be necessary. So, uh, my depression is okay. It's not as bad as it was there for a while. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm taking it one day at a time. And, uh, Today being 420, which is a very big day for cannabis users, I ended up going to the holistic shop and purchased my cannabis for my medicine and I didn't have it for a few days there. So having it is very nice. It is uh, effective for me. It does what my medicine can't do and that's about the best way I can describe that for you. I don't know if any of you out there have tried cannabis or do smoke cannabis occasionally, but maybe you'll understand. Alrighty. Um, I want to talk about this video that I posted on YouTube. It's called Lee Macmillan and depression. And I did this video because Lee passed away. Um, she suffered depression. She had mental illness and it, everything just kind of piled up, I would imagine. And she ended up taking her life by getting in front of a train in Santa Barbara in that area and uh, I lived in Santa Barbara so when I found all this out she's a youtuber who had her own channel and traveled a lot she's a van lifer Um, she started out with Max and Lee and then they split up and she started her channel life with Lee and uh, she talks about depression she definitely talked about it and a couple times i can see her pain in the video i don't think many people could but as somebody who suffers from depression i can see it in her videos and it may have looked like she had a happy life but um she 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 suffered from it and was on medication for it that i know of but uh yeah um she's gonna be missed i'm gonna miss her content definitely so uh yeah I am doing a lot better Uh, things are good we're trying to get our art out there so as far as the video that I posted on Lee I want to mention real quick that I never expected to get over like a hundred even 200 views that video is past 500 views and has 34 I think yeah like 34 likes 34 thumbs up and that's great so if you guys are interested please watch the video it was By posted. It was posted a couple weeks ago, maybe like one and a half, two weeks ago. But it's called Lee Macmillan and Depression. You can find it on our YouTube channel, Museum Americana, on Museum Diaries.
1: Thank you. That's great. Welcome
0: back. You got your soda.
1: Yes. Tastes much better.
0: Oh, okay. So Penelope, you would probably come across people like this.
1: In prison. Well, Penelope was extraordinary because uh, I told her she'd become my lover. Um, she really had this obsession for me. And, uh, you know, I kept pushing her away. And she was an attractive woman. And I said, look, you're really not my type. And I'm sorry. And uh, she, you know, she was very smart, uh, but she had a lot of emotional issues. And You know, I just didn't think she was mature enough to be with someone like me, and I was very mature. So um, it kind of happened, but like I explained to her, if, you know, we do anything, this is just shower time fun, honey. There's no relationship. This is just shower time fun, and that's all I'm going to think of you as. And she agreed. She said that was permissible to her. She would agree to that. I said, okay, so don't be telling anyone that we're together, and because uh, she didn't know how it works in there, that you really don't um, tell people that you're with some woman, and unless you really are with that woman, you know, when you first get there, I know there's women that, oh, that's my girl, that's my woman, but in reality, you know, you really, you know, I was older in life, and I just, you know, the sex was fine, but um, smoking weed was fine, but. Uh, No relationships, you know. It was just, after Mickey, I was pretty devastated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: we'd been together for seven years. You and Mickey. Yeah, Mickey and I, my wife. She's the only woman I ever married. She took my mother's maiden name. My mother gave it to us, Culver. Some of my works are under Verlin Culver and uh, that was in the years I was with Mickey primarily and that was before of course she got out before it was before I met Penelope so uh, Mickey had finally gotten out and she was determined to come right back to be with me she did so she'd done two and a half years with me she got kicked out of the prison she said I'm coming right back for you Veronica don't go anywhere don't get any other woman and I'd be more than happy, but I didn't want her having to come back. But she did. She was back within a few weeks, and um, a new wow. charge. A new charge, and then she wound up doing um, over two years in maximum security with me. I think we did probably six years together in maximum security, and we did a year and a half in isolation. Out of wow, that's eight quite years. some time. She put herself there to be with me. That was pretty stand up yeah then I had another partner that stayed down in the hole with me for a year, and she did that as a protest of my situation and she refused to be away from me. That was Robin Robertson she's the trans she was transgender coming in from a male prison on a murder charge and um she and I just clicked you know takva was her um Jewish name Takva.
0: yeah, you've mentioned her. you yes. even have a painting of yes, her you I did. did.
1: Yes, I do. Yeah. Robin. I love her very much. Yes. We actually talked after I got out. Um, I had been out probably four years. And um, lo and behold, I had an address and a card from her. And uh, I was like, wow. So I called her. And uh, she was back with her man, the same guy that she had been with um, before she had gotten her sex change. And um, they're still together still together they've been together now like i guess 25 years if
0: they're still together
1: they i'm pretty sure they are i'm pretty yeah. sure they are cuz they've been together like i say 27 years yeah if they were together for like 18 years after everything they went through you know her being in a man's prison he being in a man's prison and then waiting for her while she's in a woman's prison and he's on the free world and waiting for her to get out of a all of her sex change um, you know it's a lot of work it's a lot of work for these women um, once they cross over and um, no I mean it's a lot of work not just the uh, basic surgery that they have to go through which is by the way if you have anyone that had the skill of Robin Robertson's doctor it was so good Hmm. that well, I'll tell you how I how I know this secret. One day, I'm in uh, medium custody, and Robin comes up to me and says, "She's hysterical, Veronica, Veronica, help me, help me, help me." So she's escorting me into her room, and she says, "You got to help me, you got to help me. I've got a little marijuana vial stuck up my stuck up my pussy." I said, "Okay." So what's wrong? Well, I can't get it out. I said, well, "I can get it out. It'll be fine." So, um. So then I proceeded to extract it out of her body. And what was so remarkable was that when she opened up her legs, no, nothing was sexual. This was strictly best friend to best friend intervention for her help. Um, she opened her legs and it was a perfect vagina and clitoris and labia. It was just like any woman I had ever seen in my life. Wow. And then here's the, here's the kicker. I had to put my fingers into her vagina, her newly made vagina. Mm-hmm. Her vagina was identical to any woman's. You put your fingers right in, it had, you know, Incredible. The, the folds. Oh, it was beautiful. And, um, you know, I had to do, dig deep because uh, after their surgery, um, whoever goes through this type of surgery, they have to have these um, like implants that they wear every day. And it has to be the size of a hard-on of a penis. And they have to keep it after the surgery so that the skin does not um, uh, wind up scarring really small. So they have to keep it that that flesh pliable like a real vagina. So to do that, they have to have these big, you know, soft penis things. Like Wow, that's them. a lot of work. It, it was a lot of work. And I felt sorry for her because I saw what she had to go through. And um, she had to be religious, you know, and dedicated to this to keep her vagina as a vagina the way she wanted it right so i felt bad for her about all that extra work and i don't know how many years she did it but i would say that i know she was doing it for a good two years two years in the prison Mm -hmm. and uh oh it was a beautiful it was beautiful to me because she was so happy she was finally feeling free you know and she, her body looked the way it was supposed to, and she was just, you know, a very wonderful, out and loud woman that was six foot two, and oh, it was just had these great, great breasts from her hormone treatments, and these little hips and long, long legs, and um. The, <laughs> She just was a a, a very good-looking woman, you know? Yeah. 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 It was a good transgender.
0: Yeah. Wow, what an interesting relationship.
1: Mm, she was my best friend. Yeah. One of my few in my life. But anyway, so I think that we covered enough for today, my love. Yeah, I
0: think so, too. Okay. Well, you guys, thank you for listening. And like yes, I said before, check us. us out on YouTube, Museum Americana. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you soon. Well soon about a week or so. Talk Peace to you. Peace out. Then. Bye.